Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Podcast Juice. My name is Michael Dean, and you are listening to the podcast on Prince, aka the Prince Podcast. Joining me today, we got a special one. We got a Minneapolis legend, a whole legend in the building today, Mr. Pepe Willie. Sir, how are you? Yeah, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on, sir? Hey, you got it, man. Call me Pepe. Don't be calling me no sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just that respect in me. I had to do that. I got you. I got you. Man, thank you for uh, coming on, man. We've been trying to get this going for a, mi- a minute here. I know. Yeah. I appreciate you uh, uh, asking me to do this. You know, uh, I'm here in Nevada now, and uh, okay. uh, the internet wasn't working that well the last time we were trying to hook up. And by the time I got it hooked up, I had some people come in from Minnesota, uh, you know, and, you know, had to host them and all that. But we're here now, baby. We're here now with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we're going to get into some real history uh, with yourself and Prince and, and some of the other people, uh, you know, from that era and time yeah. and, and all that good stuff, man. And, and again, it's just an honor to have you on. And we got to before we go, we before we uh, start, we want to mention that you have a book out. Uh, if you see me and this yeah. is your memoirs yeah if you see me my six decade journey in rock and roll baby yeah wow six and it's decades. doing really well i mean you know uh i was in shock you know you know but uh it's doing really well we sold out on amazon a couple of times and stuff and we got a five-star rating on amazon and it's in barnes and noble and you know, and your local bookstore can order it for you if they don't have it already, you know. But, yeah, it's a, it's a great book. It's a good read. It's about the uh, my life and the beginning of the Minneapolis Sound and how it got started. And that's some of the things we want to we want to jump in today um, and, a, and a couple of specific things. And, man, I just I think it's important to to note as well and this is some of the things that i've learned about you over the last few years uh, what would i say you have been in the music industry and yeah. entertainment well before you are known for the stuff that you associated with prince right like yeah. some of your roots go really deep in terms of black music man like yeah. give us some idea of you know kind of where you come from and started and some of the groups that you have been uh, around yeah <laughs> Well, it's kind of a long story. So to That's make right. a long story longer, I would <laughs> tell you this. <laughs> well, when I was 15, uh, my uncle's group, Little Anthony and the Imperials, my uncle's one of the Imperials. He's the founding member. And uh, he was doing a show, Little Anthony Imperials, at the Brooklyn Paramount Theater in Brooklyn. Mm. And... Uh, um, you know, I was online. I was out there online just like with all these other kids, you know, lines around the corner and stuff. So he was coming in and he saw me and he says, Pepe. And I go like, yeah, man, what's up? <laughs> you know, and he says, come on, go with me. So I got off the line and I went with him and we went in the stage door. And it was the first time that I'd ever seen a concert, uh, you know, like that rock and roll concert. And uh, Chubby Checker was there, Lou Anthony Imperials was there, the Coasters was there, you know, among uh, other artists too. I can't remember all of them. But uh, I was going to the store and getting sandwiches for the Imperials and Anthony. And then one day my uncle, because it was a 10-day concert, you know, when the kids got off of school, you know, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, 
And uh, he says, well, why don't you go to the store for some of these other artists? He said, go knock on their door and see if they want something from the store. Because I wasn't even mm. thinking about nothing like that. I was just in awe just being around my uncle's group, you know. Mm. So when I went and I knocked on this artist's door, I didn't know who it was because there was no name on the door. And he goes, yeah, come on in. I opened the door and it was Chubby Checker. Wow. <laughs> I went like, oh, man, this is in my brain. I'm going like, oh, man, this is Mr. Twist, man. This is the guy who did the twist and stuff, you know. So I said, uh, do you want anything from the store? And he goes like, yeah, man, go get me some cigarettes and stuff. You know, back then, the kids can go in the store and get right. cigarettes. So I went and got him a pack of Salem cigarettes and uh, and uh, was bringing it back um, uh, through the stage door. And uh, there was a line of groupies, you know, hanging behind the police line uh, at the stage door. And they kept seeing me going in and out. So, you know, I go knock on the stage door and the guard opens the door. And just then someone had said, hey, how come this guy could go in and, and, and in and out when he wants to? And I just said, hey, that's be I said, I just went to the store for Chubby Checker to get him these cigarettes. And I, and I held the cigarettes up in the air. And all of a sudden, man, the crowd broke the line toward, you know, the wow. police line. They went through that. They started grabbing me. They was grabbing my arm. They was grabbing my shirt. They ripped my shirt out. And, you know, I mean, it was crazy and stuff. And that was the first time. How old were you again? Any encounter of any groupies and whatever. So the guard had to pull what, what, me. Pe Pepe, how, how old were you again at this? I was 15. 15, okay. And the, and the guard pulled me in the door. So I came in and stuff. And my shirt was all, you know, ripped up and everything. And Wow. You know, so. Uh, it was like you was the Beatles or something. Like you was the star. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like I, was, I wasn't nobody. I was just getting some <laughs> cigarettes and stuff. But, uh, um, you know, I stopped doing that. I learned my lesson, you know. Can, can, I, can I just add one thing? Because I don't want yeah. people to miss this. You, you know, and you mentioned a few names. You know, I wanted to go back to Chubby Checker. Yeah. I, for some younger people, please go do your Googles. Look up Chubby Checker. You know, when I was young, I was well, Chubby Checker had already, you know, had done his thing. But right. that song, The Twist and some of the other ones was still like you heard those and you knew what it was. And you would see the footage on TV and be like, oh, yeah, that's one of the big ones. Chubby that's Checker. Right. You know? yeah, and so I'm, so when he's saying that Chubby Checker was huge. Yeah. You know, oh, that's, yeah. you know, influential stuff right there. So go look at the twist. You know, we have these dances today and the songs be named after the dance and all that. This right. is one of the original cats that did that. That's so right. so that's kind of put in the context why they would go crazy over some 15 year old kid. They just thought was associated with Chubby yeah, Checker. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes, that's <laughs> to tell you how big it was back then. Right. That's yeah. Oh, it was crazy, man. You know, just like in the. The lines when Purple Rain came out and all the lines were around the corner. I hadn't seen that, you know, since, uh, you know, the Paramount Theater and, and then the mm. Brooklyn Fox Theater. The next year, um, the Paramount Theater was sold to Long Island University. So they did the shows at the Brooklyn Fox Theater. And at the Brooklyn Fox Theater, they had the whole Motown Review. Stevie Wonder, Mary Wells, The Marvelous, mm. The Temptations. I'm talking about the original Temptations with Eddie <laughs> Kendricks and mm -hmm. David Ruffin, uh, Smokey and the Miracles. Uh, wow. They had everybody from Motown that was there. 
And then plus they had other uh, acts like Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells, mm. uh, Dionne Warwick. Uh, all the icons. <laughs> yeah, all the icons. We just go Ray Charles, you know, and, you know, they had uh, um, some white groups. They had Jay and the Americans. They had, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, damn, I can't think of his name. Uh, oh, Dion. And okay. Uh, okay. they had the Everly Brothers. The Righteous Brothers, Sam and Dave, you know, all these iconic acts, man. These cats were like, and I used to stand on the side of the stage and just watch these shows, man. And it was just amazing. And it's watching the crowds and the audience, man, just screaming and yelling and stuff. And everybody Mm -hmm. was sitting together, blacks and whites and everything. They didn't Mm -hmm. separate them. And, you know, it was um, it so, was quite an event, man. It was it was so cool, man, uh, and I just loved it. And 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 when I seen, because like, I was backstage, and when I seen all of these acts, you know, getting together, and no fighting, no mm-hmm. arguing, you know, no animosity towards anybody. Everybody wanted each act to do well, you know, and the only competition that they had then was to beat each other on the stage. And that was it. You know, that was it. I mean, I used to go down to the Four Tops room and ask them what color uniforms they were wearing. And, uh, you know, Levi or one of the guys from the uh, Four Tops says, oh, we're going to wear black. You know, then I go back up to the Imperials room and I says, "Uh, the Tops are wearing black. And then Sammy from the Imperials would go like, okay, we're going to kill him with the white, man. We're going to wear white, man, you know. <laughs> and, and that was the only competition, man. But after the shows, you know, these uh, artists would get together and sing gospel songs backstage. Mm. You know, they were having so much fun. And I was going like, wow, I was just tripping, man. I was going like, oh, man. I said, this is what I want to do. I mm. said, this is what I want to do because I wanted – everybody to get along. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. want no fighting, I didn't want any of that stuff, even though I grew up in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn and stuff and did my gang stuff and all that crap, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't know if there was anything left for me, you know, until I started hanging out with my uncle and little Anthony and Imperius. You know, it was amazing. So you kind of had just an education on actually watching yeah, these cats do their thing. It was an education right, because right. when we went to lunch or dinner, you know, with uh, some of these uh, artists, you know, some of the miracles, attempts, we all sitting down at the tables and stuff. And my uncle told me, keep your mouth shut mm. and your ears open, you know. And that's what I did. And I learned a hell of a lot about uh, artists. I learned a lot about the music business and things like that. And uh, I met uh, uh, songwriters like Teddy Randazzo, who wrote Going Out of My Head and Hurt So Bad. I'm on the outside looking in and I met him. He was a great guy. And he was one of the uh, uh, my mentors uh, in in how to write good lyrics uh, for songs and stuff, you know, and it was just amazing. So, um Going through this period, and you've said this is kind of when you decided, I know what I want to do, you know, get into music and entertainment. When did you uh, start to develop or decide to work on actually making music or learning instruments and things? Well, in school, I was in the music uh, class. Okay. And I was a drummer. 
And uh, I got kicked out of music class <laughs> for clowning. <laughs> so y'all was acting a fool back then too, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they put me in the art class, you know, and I'm like, I don't know nothing about art, you know, drawing and all this stuff. I didn't know anything <laughs> about that. So I was a drummer. So I started out as a drummer and I found out that I couldn't write lyrics and melodies with drums, man. You know, there's no chords, you know. So I bought a little small guitar from the pawn shop. I think it was like 15 bucks I paid for it, acoustic guitar. And I started, uh, bought a, a, a guitar book and started, you know, learning chords on the guitar. And uh, then I started writing lyrics. I started, I had, had a notebook full of lyrics that I used to write all the time. And I would take them over to Teddy Randazzo and he would just destroy everything that I would. <laughs> he was going like, nope, you don't need that. Nope, you don't need this. Nope, mm. you don't need that. <laughs> I was almost in tears, you know, because you're writing. You're writing from your heart, man. Right. You know. So I learned then. And the next time that I went to him, he crossed out less and less and less, mm. you know, until I became a good songwriter. And then one of the songs that I wrote was My Mind is Open. And um, and Anthony and my uncle uh, produced it uh, for this group called the Blues Busters. Hmm. And so they sang it. And I was at that session uh, in the studio. And, uh, you know, they did a good job and it was good. But it was like uh, to me, I was going like, well, you know, I would have did this a little differently. I would have did this. I would have mm -hmm. did that. So then I started really studying on producing. You know, how to produce and everything. And I used to go to all uh, my uncle's recordings when they was recording their records. And, you know, we're in the studio, uh, Sound Palace in, uh, in New York and uh, uh, to like four o'clock in the morning and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, I was older then. I was like 16, 17, you know, and I just got my skills together and stuff. You know, then I attended the Brooklyn Conservatory of Music for guitar. Wow. Okay. And learned a little bit more about guitar and stuff and just started writing, you know. Let me ask you a couple questions going into that. I wanted to go back to the gentleman, Teddy, you mentioned. Yeah. And the way you talked about, like, he was, you know, was critiquing your stuff. But, yeah. you know, this is another form, you correct me if I'm wrong, of, of, of mentorship of somebody who's accomplished in something, seeing you, the young kid, come, you want to come into this and, yo, let me show you how to do it. And one of the points I'm trying to say, and you said you were to the point of crying, like, yeah, this is an important thing because a lot of times we'll see when cats are trying to give you some correction and put you on game. It ain't always got to be told in the nicest way, right. but it's told to make you get better, you know, to toughen right. you up. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a very important thing. And I'm curious if you learn what you learned from that, like him giving you that correction. Do, do you see yourself sort of following that? sort of path to some other people as we get down to the story later on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely followed the path. And and then when I uh, I was another friend of mine who I used to write with named Ike Page, and uh, he was a songwriter, too, but mm. he didn't have the formula that I had, you know. And uh, so we worked together and we wrote this song called Loving Cup together, you know, and ah. uh, uh, so definitely I was passing it on. My uncle always told me, he says, he says, once you get the knowledge, he said, pass it on, mm. pass it on to deserving people. You can't pass it on to everybody because everybody is not positive. 
but uh, uh, and that's what I learned. And when I went to Minneapolis, you know, I taught Prince in uh, Grand Central. You know, yeah, we're we gonna get to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And Loving Cup. It's funny you mention that because uh, that's the that's the one. That... Yeah. <laughs> Man, they that that song got got played out in my household, and I'm talking about in the last maybe two or three years. Wow. It was a, it was a family member of mine. They don't really. They didn't know your history or nothing like that. They they was they had got like a collection of Prince songs or something they heard online, and that was one of the songs is in that thing they heard, and they right. gravitated toward that one. They yeah. they was wearing that. I was like, I don't even play that no more. They was wearing your cut out. <laughs> I hear you. Now Prince played. He played drums on that track. Okay. And and he also played keyboards on that track. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's the cut. That's the cut right there. Um. Okay. So. Oh, another part I wanted to ask you was you said you're 16 while you're going to studio four in the morning and, and right. different things. And you went to the school. So that uh, talk to me a little bit, you know, just in terms of your parents, they allowed you and they saw something in you enough to let you go out and be around people and, and, and get into this. Well, let me tell you, my father's side of the family were very conservative people. They, they believed in a good job you know, uh, retirement, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. all of that, you know, and, but my mother's side of the family was the party inside, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, they like to have fun and stuff. And my mother's mother had 11 kids. So I had right. five aunts and five uncles on my mother's side and, and my, my uncle Charles, we call him Charlie. Uh, he played saxophone and he played with, um, uh, Winton Kelly and uh, somebody else. I can't remember the name, but um, uh, my grandfather, my mother's father was a piano player. And he believed if the song was written that way, that's how you had to play it. So my aunt Dottie, she was friends with Miles Davis, Thelonious Monk. Wow. You know, and they used to all, as kids, they used to go to my grandfather's house and play piano. So one time, uh, uh, Thelonious Monk came up to the, my grandfather's house and he was playing uh, this song. Um, what was the name of it? Uh, uh, you Don't Have to Set the World on Fire, something like that, one of them old tunes. And he was playing it differently. So my grandfather comes in the, in the living room and says, uh, Theo, Theo, that's that's not how it's played. And he said, well, Mr. Collins, he says, he said, this is how I want to play it, you know. And he so they were around legends, you know, themselves and mm -hmm. stuff, you know, okay. and uh, which was really cool. And I just heard that story uh, about 10 years ago. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. even know all of that until I started writing my book. You know, I didn't man. even know that. Man. But okay. uh, it was, you know quite a thing man quite so you're thing. so part of your, your mom's side of family was already yeah they know, were ready my, my father um you know he, he was just different man i want to get into it but oh dad, no i mean to me he sound like it sound like my my grandfather i know a lot of old school black men you know, go get your job yeah, you get right. your education yeah. and we'll yeah. think, you know, you get your stuff to yeah. handle your business now. <laughs> to well, tell my me. mother, she 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 thought it was great because I was with my uncle, okay. her brother, right. you know. So she knew that he would take care of me and everything like that. So it wasn't no problem. 
Okay. You know, so, you know, I started just hanging out with the, the Imperials and I met all kinds of people, man. Did you, was there a thing in your book about Jimi Hendrix? I'm not yeah, I met Jimi Hendrix. Um, Jimi Hendrix, I met, um, my uncle did a show at the Brooklyn, no, at, at the Copacabana, the world famous Copacabana. So they was there for a week or two or something like that. And one night he asked me after the show, do I want to go to a party? And I'm going like, yeah, okay, sure, let's go. And um, we went to this party in Manhattan. We was already in Manhattan. And we get into this elevator. And it was one of those elevators where you had to pull it down to close the doors and stuff. Oh, wow. And it was kind of dusty and, you know, and I'm going like, man, what kind of party this guy's taking me to, man? You know, <laughs> so we got to the floor and the doors opened, man, and it was like, oh man, I, I I've never seen anything so beautiful in my life, man. They had couches, they had aquariums, the music was pumping, they had bars, and it was just unbelievable. So we go in, we sit down and stuff, and me being young, man, I'm looking around, I'm looking around, and all of a sudden I see. Jimi Hendrix. And I was going like, wait a minute, is that Jimmy? That's Jimi Hendrix. So I elbowed my uncle sitting right next to me. And he's going like, what, what, man? I said, there, there's Jimi Hendrix over there. He goes, where? I said, right over here. And he looks over there and he goes, hey, Jimmy. And he goes, hey, Clarence, man, what's happening? I didn't know these guys knew each other. You know, he comes over and stuff. And I get introduced wow. to Jimi Hendrix. I shake his hand. Man, and he sat down with us for a few minutes and stuff and just was talking. And then he seen this girl <laughs> and he went over to this babe and whispered in her ear. And I was watching them the whole time, you know, and uh, they left. <laughs> and I right? went, oh, man, this dude is too smooth, man. <laughs> wow, that's a cold He's story. Too smooth, man. <laughs> but it was great, man. When I shook his hand, his, his hands and I got long fingers, man, but his hands just wrapped right around my hand. Man. Mm. You know, this guy had some big hands and stuff, man, but he was, I love Jimi Hendrix, man. It was really cool and stuff, man. You know? Wow. Let's see. That's something you'll never forget, man. When you no, you never cast like that. that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. When, um, and you mentioned, I think you mentioned it as we were recording or maybe before we started, but you talked about you had gotten uh, drafted or you went into the military. Yeah, I got the, drafted. The drafted. You know I wasn't going to join that sucker. <laughs> Talk to – I know for for me, I remember the draft, you know. I remember yeah. in terms of I know how it affected, you know, the cats before me. Right. You know, I was sort of the kid from that, like my parent and my dad and stuff. It Nowadays, that sounds – it might be hard for some younger people to even comprehend a draft. Are they going to force us to go to the military? Yeah, but right. If you yeah. could, if you could just kind of give a little bit of perspective on like, what was that like though for y'all as young people that you was forced to go? Like, what, what Yeah. Well, it wasn't good for me because, uh, and uh, people around in my neighborhood then, uh, you know, you get this letter in the mail, uncle Sam wants you, you got to report, you know, to your local office and whatever. And, uh, and I was going like, well, you know, and that was during the, the, the time of the Vietnam War. Mm. And, uh, and people were just dying, getting killed over there, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, a couple of my friends who was in the Army and then they had basic training and then they, they came home for uh, a little while. 
and then they went back. And when they went back, they they went to Vietnam where they had uh, eight, nine weeks of jungle training. And then they went to war, you know, and they were coming back dead, 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 dead. All my friends, man, were like dying. So when I got drafted, I was going like, oh, man, I said, where? I ain't got no problem with the Vietnamese, you know. <laughs> right, they ain't do nothing to me. <laughs> yeah, they ain't do nothing to me. Watch I go out there and shoot these guys, and I can't even, you know, live comfortably in America, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, so it was quite a blow, and uh, I did go and stuff. Uh, my MOS was uh, military police and stuff, you know. Mm. So, uh, you know, I did my thing, and then I got out, you know. Wow. And, uh, I was so happy to get out. And but before before I even went in, my uncle was a uh, uh, group. Lou Anthony Imperials were rehearsing at Harlequin Studios in New York. So I had went to the store and, and was coming back and I got in the elevator and Muhammad Ali was in the elevator with me. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I went, oh, man, he goes, he looks at me and he goes like, hey, how are you doing? You know? He said, what are you doing? I said, well, because we are in the Holocron Studios. That's where everybody rehearse at. And I said, well, I'm a songwriter. And he goes, really? And I goes like, yeah. He says, well, I'm doing an album. You know, you think you could write me some songs and stuff? And I said, sure, I could, <laughs> you know. And uh, we switched uh, numbers. And so he gave me his number. I gave him my number and stuff like that. And there were no cell phones at the time. So it was home numbers. And But then I got drafted. Uh, you know, and I also was writing for the Shy Lights. Really? My my girlfriend's cousin was dating Marshall Thompson of the Shy Lights. And this is when they were just starting. And uh, so I had the opportunity to write for these guys, too. And I was writing, you know, for Ali and I was writing for uh, uh, the Shy Lights and stuff. And then I had to go. You know, mm-hmm. I had to go to the military and stuff. So that just blew everything away. I was I was hurt, man. That, that wasn't good. And then years later, you find out that the draft was illegal, you know, mm. you know, after all those brothers and died. And, mm. you know, it, it, it was wild, right. man. That's oof, I can't even imagine. Right. You mentioned the girlfriend here that was going to lead me to something else I want to ask you. So um, talk to me when you meet. Uh, Chantel Manderville, if I'm saying that. Yeah, name. Chantel Manderville. And <laughs> this is this is a man. <laughs> this is truly God's work. I'm gonna tell you that right yes, now. Yes, sir. Because uh, what happened was I was hanging up the uniform of the Imperials at the Copacabana, and there's a waiting room. There's a dressing room, and then there's a waiting room. So I was in the dressing room, and the guys just came off a of stage, and I'm giving them towels to you know, wipe the sweat off of them and everything. And Sammy from the Imperials comes in and he goes to, says to me, he says, uh, Pepe. And I go, yeah. He says, uh, who's that girl out there with the green eyes? <laughs> now, in my mind, I know that Sammy had great taste in women. <laughs> and I, I don't know what made me say this, but I said, oh, I said, oh, yeah, that's my old lady, man. That's my girl. <laughs> and you didn't and, know who she was, though, right? I didn't even know who she was. I never met her. I never seen her or nothing. And uh, so I knew that if I said that, that he wouldn't mess with her. He would leave her alone, you know. So then after I got finished hanging up his uniform, 
I had to go out in the waiting room and find this girl with the green eyes, man. So <laughs> I go out in the waiting room and all of these babes is all up in there and stuff and people all up in there. And I'm looking around. Then I seen her sitting down and I went over to her and I said, hi, how are you? She goes, I'm fine. I said, my name is Pepe. What's your name? She says, my name is Chantel. And I said, hey, Chantel. And, uh, you know, I'm from New York, so I was real smooth. I was, <laughs> I'm listening to the game right now. <laughs> you know, so I asked her, I said, uh, who are you here with? You know, she says, well, I'm here with my aunt, my aunt, Kalua. And I happen to know Kalua because she was dating my uncle. And I was going like, oh, yeah. I said, I know Kalua and stuff. I said, and I said to her, I said, do you have a curfew? And she goes mm -hmm. like, no, I ain't got no curfew. <laughs> So I said, well, then we can hang out then. She said, yeah, we can hang out, you know. So that's how that all started, you know, and we fell in love and stuff, man. Wow. And where, where was this? Was this in this was Minneapolis? In, uh, or this was Brooklyn? in uh, New York. New York, okay. She came to visit her aunt, you know. Oh, so her okay. aunt was at the Copa, and uh, so she came there, you know, with her aunt, you know. I don't know where Kalua was, but she wasn't there in the waiting room and stuff. I don't know where she was. Mm. She was probably uh, still downstairs on the, watching the show or just getting ready to leave or something like that because the, the guys were finished already. So I met her and we fell in love, man, and we just started hanging out, man. And then she had to go back to Minneapolis and stuff and so you know. let, let me ask you this about that, because in today's world, you got cell phones and the video chats and all that. None of that existed back then. No, it was purely no. you had to talk to the young lady, go yeah. up to her. I assume you got her phone. Number. I'm curious how you stayed in connect with her if she had to move to a different state. Or was that just Well, we all hung out at Kalua's house in Manhattan. OK, she lived on a, a Columbus and 80th Street. And I used to go there all the time because my uncle was there all the time. And Kalua was a very, very nice person and stuff. And even when he wasn't here, when he was uh, uh, there, even when he uh, was on tour or something like that, I'd still go over Kalua's house and hang out. And uh, so Chantel was there for quite a while, you know, a couple of weeks. And uh, so we hit it off. And then when she went to Minneapolis, you know, back home, we would talk to each other on the phone. And then she'd come back, you mm. know, and hang out and stuff. And we were there, you know, for months and months and months. You know, she was there. Okay. You know, and we just fell in love, man. I took her to a, a concert and stuff. With, and I, I always knew how to talk my way into a concert. <laughs> Never paid to get into a concert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just talk. She said, well, we ain't got no tickets. I said, baby, don't worry about it. I said, just wait right here, you know. I got so you was so you're one of them cats that's you know clicked in and know people, but then you got a cold mouthpiece where you can get in there right. and holler at people. So okay, yeah, right, I get it. Then, man, we went everywhere and stuff. I got you know, it. So. And then when I uh, um, I didn't go to Minneapolis to my first time because I had got drafted in the service, and I had told her I said, well, you know, baby, I said, don't wait for me. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I don't even know if I'm going to make it out of here. You know, go do your thing and stuff, you know. Wow. But I was stationed in, uh, uh, well, first I went to Fort Dix, New Jersey. Then I went to um, South Carolina, Fort Jackson in South Carolina. Then I went to Fort Gordon uh, for MP training and stuff. And then I my 
my duties was at uh, Fort Riley in Kansas. So I never even went overseas and stuff. You know what I mean? I was just one of the lucky ones and stuff. You know? Okay. So when I got out in December 10th, 1970, you know, instead of me going home, I went to Minneapolis, you know, see my, my girl. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I got a hotel room at the Radisson and I okay. called her up and told her, I said, baby, I'm here. I'm in town. Where you at? Where you at? <laughs> I said, baby, I'm at the Radisson. She said, I'll be right over, man. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she came over, man. We hit it off and everything. Say and, no more. <laughs> you know, it, it was cool. So I stayed in Minneapolis in 1974 three months because I had to get mm -hmm. back to New York to uh, get my job back. You know, I was a cable splicer uh, for New York Telephone Company. Okay, okay. And after you get out of the service, you got 90 days to, to get your job back, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know. So you work for the phone company? Yeah, I worked as a cable splicer. Okay, yeah. a lot of black people worked for the phone company back in yeah. the day. My, uh, I my also parents, worked for the post know. office, too. I worked for the United States yep. Post Office. Okay. Yeah, I did that. So, so you know, my father's side of the family was happy when I had mm -hmm. a job like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I was, I was really just into music so much, man. I had to make it. I had to do it, you know. So, so but Chantel and I got married later on, and okay, and then uh, uh, we got into some arguments and stuff, and then she. Um, how, if I could ask, how old were you when you got married? Oh man, I think I was like. Oh, man. I had to have been like 23 or 24. Oh, okay. Very young. You know, mm. you know, somewhere around there. And then we got into arguments. She went back to Minneapolis and I had my own crib. And I said, all right, cool. Mm. So then I started uh, at the Brooklyn uh, Bed-Stuy Street Academy uh, studying acting. Okay. And uh, Paramount Pictures came into town and they was doing a, a movie on uh, uh Sonny Carson. Sonny Carson was the brother who led the march to Attica, you know, okay. how they were shooting people up in the in the jail up in there. And he wrote a book, and Paramount Pictures had did a, was doing a movie on him. So I got a, a audition for the movie, you know, as a songwriter, and I was writing uh, songs for the movie, and uh, I wrote one song that they kept called Five Cent Ride to Freedom. And that was getting on the ferry boat and just getting out of the hood, just going on the ferry boat, going over to Staten Island and, you know, that type of thing. It was just freedom. You know, I didn't have to worry about no gangs. I didn't have to worry about nothing and stuff, you know. And uh, uh, so uh, they hired me to do this song. And uh, I was on the ferry boat. And I sang the song. They rented me a guitar, a nice, real good guitar. And I was playing it and I was singing uh, Five Cent Ride to Freedom while the guy who was playing Sonny, who was Ronnie Clanton, and uh, the other girl who was playing, uh, this girl who was playing uh, his, his woman, you know, I forget her name, but um, as they were just hugging and kissing on the, on the boat, I'm singing my song. So, you know, wow. we, we taped that, they filmed it and everything, everything was cool. So all my other buddies, they were in the movie, they was playing gang members and all this. And uh, so then now in the premiere, the premiere of the movie, uh, Gulf and Western building in New York, you know, a Paramount owned building. 
So we went to the premiere and everything. We would clean and stuff. And my, me and my boys, we jumped in my Volkswagen and uh, went to the premiere. So we get in and we're sitting down. We're watching the movie. And then my part comes up and I'm waiting for it. And then I'm going like, okay, yeah, here it is. And I wasn't there. Mm. And I went like, what happened? And then this other song was playing a track while um, the two, um, uh, Ronnie and uh, uh, Virginia, were playing uh, uh, their part on the boat. And I was just, man, I was so hurt, man. Wow. It, got edited it was out. just mm. unbelievable. I mean, if they would have told me that they cut the part out, mm. I, you know, at least I would have known something. You know, but mm. nobody told me anything. And then all my boys who was in the movie, they said, man, Peppy, when that part came up, man, I felt it, man. That shit was wrong. It was mm. terrible, man, you know. And so we jumped back into my car after the premiere and partying and all that type of stuff. I drive back to my apartment in Brooklyn and I pull in the driveway and there was dudes <laughs> coming out of my apartment mm. with my tape recorder. <laughs> What? I was being robbed, man. Wow. <laughs> Streets. <laughs> it was great. And then my buddy, BT, uh, Robert, he was like, Peppy, they got your stuff, man. And I was in shock. I was behind the wheel, and I, was, I just didn't believe it. Mm -hmm. You know, and BT, Robert, jumped out of the car, and the guy dropped my tape on the, on the ground, the concrete. And I got out of the car and we started chasing them and stuff. It was him and two other guys and stuff. Wow. And man, we ran through people's homes or in the backyards and stuff, chasing these guys and stuff. And we caught them though. The police was there, <laughs> but we caught them and stuff and put them in a the police car and stuff. And wow. uh, you know, and they were arrested. And, you know. Did you know who they were? Uh, I knew one of the guys because mm. when, when we took, we caught one guy and we was bringing him back to the police car. And they had another guy in the police car. And I looked at him and I said, oh, yeah, I, said, I know you. Yeah. I know you, man. Oh, yeah. I didn't say man. I was MFing like, right, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he started crying and stuff. I said, no, nah, ain't no tears now, brother. Right, you going right. to jail. That's it. You know. So <laughs> that event was over and stuff. But uh, that was quite a blow that I didn't get that shot in the movie and everything. And that was the uh, the education of Sonny Carson. That's, yeah, that's the, the name of the movie. Education of Sonny Carson. It's a great movie too. It's really good. I don't know if I've ever seen that, but I've heard of it through just sort of pop culture. You know, somebody's Attica, Attica. I've seen right. I've yeah, seen that imagery right. of things. You know, sort of. Absolutely. So that's kind of how he I understand it. That, that, that march. So my 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 wife then Chantel was in Minneapolis, but I told her, you know. Before the premiere, I told her, yeah, I'm shooting a movie with Paramount Pictures. She hurried her ass right, <laughs> right back to Brooklyn, man. <laughs> <You're> hilarious. <laughs> you know, so we, we hooked back up and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, let, let's jump a little bit ahead. So uh, you, were got, you were married to Chantel. Eventually, I, I assume she moves... Back to Minneapolis, or you moved to Minneapolis as well. I'm just trying to get, yeah, how do you first yeah, sort of start to under, meet yeah, Prince and that type of thing? Well, what happened is that uh, after the movie, everything was cool for a minute, you know, 
And then we just get into these arguments again and stuff, you know. So she mm-hmm. went back to Minneapolis and I had a three piece band with my my uh, my cousin who played drums and then um, Willie Laws. Willie Laws was the nephew of Hubert Laws, you know, great. Uh, 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 he played flute, so flautist, you know, hmm. okay. and uh, Hubert Laws was just great. You know, this was his nephew. And so we did a three-piece band, and we played in the village and all like that, you know. And uh, then I decided, well, I'm going to go to California because I had did the movie, and I met um, Michael Campus and Erwin Yablons, who had produced the movie, and Michael uh, Campus was the director. And I said, well, I'm going to go to Hollywood, see if I can get me some acting stuff, you know. So me and my cousin, we just jumped in my Volkswagen and started driving to uh, – California. And uh, so as I, when I got to California, you know, I called the director up at the movie from the movie and I was going like, dude, you know, I'm here, you know, you got some work for me. I was looking for work and I didn't know how anything worked in the movie industry. And he says, man, you know, he says, no, nah, man, I ain't got nothing. There's nothing happening here, man. But, you know, that was it. So I was left cold. So I drove to Vegas where uh, me and my cousin drove to Vegas, where uh, my uncle was. So we stayed with him, and we started selling vacuum cleaners. And stuff. <laughs> wow. I was about to ask you, where y'all get money from? So you say, got a that little job. Money, man. So we started okay. selling vacuum cleaners. So <laughs> during that time, I had called Chantel, and she said that she was in California hmm. visit, visiting some some her family. Were you guys married at this time? Uh, yeah, we were married. Okay. Yeah, we were okay. married. And uh, um, so I, buddy, my 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 cousin, he left and went back home to Brooklyn. So I was left alone in Las Vegas. And then when I called Chantel's, and uh, she was in California. So then I drove to California and got a hotel room and hooked up back with her. And she flew back to Minneapolis, and I drove to Minneapolis, mm. and uh, where she had an apartment. So we hooked back up there, and uh, that's when I met uh, Wendell Thomas, who was a bass player, and later uh, on became bass player for 94 East. And uh, uh, he was married to Chantel's cousin, Janine. And uh, so, you know, Chantel and I tried to hook it up, and she got... Uh, we got into an argument one day and she left the house. So when she left, I said, well, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write this song. And I wrote this song called, if you see me, you know, mm, that's a cold song. to write to you yeah, to girl. You know, So I was right. I was pissed off at her. And I was like, if you oh, see yeah. me walking down the street one day, don't say nothing. Damn. You know, you did me wrong. So wrong when I was doing bad, I didn't think I was going to make it. You know, now I'm alone, feeling free, freer than a butterfly flying high. You know, if you see me walk on by, you know, and uh, and I wrote that track, man. And um, uh, later on, we went in the studio. I wrote, you know, five other, four other songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was working with Grand Central, too, at that time, you know. Uh, so you had guy. already knew. Met yeah, Prince. You know, I would let, whip- let me. I just to jump in because I want to take you back just a little bit. What you said when you first met him, 
what did you think? Did, what, did you meet him when he, you knew he was doing music already or did you meet him before? No, that? I met him when he was 12, but then okay. uh, when I was in New York, Prince was 15 and then he called me up and was asking me about publishing, mm. you know? And I told him, I said, well, I'm coming back to Minneapolis. So when I come back to Minneapolis, I'll talk to you about it because I can't tell you this on the phone. So when I went back to Minneapolis, Chantel's father uh, had a ski group and he was doing a, a, a ski trip. So I had got me some ski gear and stuff. I ain't know how to ski, you know, from Brooklyn, man. Yeah, <laughs> concrete jungle. I didn't know <laughs> right. about no snow and skiing and stuff, you know. So uh, I finally learned how to ski and, you know, just messing around. And, and uh, after that, there was a ski party and Grand Central was the band. So mm. this is funny because somebody told Grand Central that a producer was coming into town to check them out. Okay. Now, I didn't know it was me, you know? <laughs> so I get to the party and, and Morris's mom, who was the manager, kept looking at me, you know, through the whole party. And I'm going like, why is she? Why does this woman keep looking at me, man? Well, you know, what's going on? So I, I went over to her and I said, hi. I said, my name is Pepe. She goes, yeah, you know, I'm LaVon. And I said, hi, LaVon. She said, how do you like the group? And I said, wow. I said, I think the group is really nice. And then I found out, you know, I figured out what was going on. Mm. And I said, wow, you know, I would really like to work with this band. You know, Morris Day was playing drums. Prince was playing guitar. Andre was playing bass and Andre's sister was playing keyboards and William Dowdy, we call him Hollywood, was playing percussion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I told her, I said, yeah, we'd love to work with the group. We set up some rehearsal spots at her house up in the attic. And uh, so the first rehearsal, I go up to, you know, to check these guys out. And I told them to play one of their songs for me. And Prince played this song called Sex Machine that he wrote. And it was a great song. But it lasted too long. It was like 10 minutes. Hmm. I was going like, dude, I said, man, you, you got to cut these songs down to three minutes, three minutes, 30 seconds and stuff, you know. And I showed them the formula. I gave them the formula. I said, you write your intro, you write your first verse, and then you do the hook, and then you do the second verse, and then you do another hook, and then you uh, do a, a bridge, and you can vamp out with the hook, you know. And, and that uh, always allows you to, to come up with the song at three minutes and 30 seconds or three minutes, three minutes and 30 seconds, somewhere around there. And so they learned that formula. And then, and then Andre did a song called You Remind Me of Me. And, uh, uh, and nobody was doing the lyrics right. You know, Andre was singing and everybody else who was supposed to come in with harmonies they were singing something different. And I was going like, well, wait a minute. What, you know, what's going on here? I mean, these kids, they were like 16 years old, you know? I was going to wonder, like, these are kids. Yeah, they were yeah. like 16 years old. These are kids. So there was a blackboard up in the attic. And I told Andre, I said, write the lyrics to your song on the blackboard. So he wrote the lyrics down and everybody going like, oh, yeah, now that's what you were saying. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> they didn't even know the song. So we rehearse more. So now another rehearsal and stuff. I go up there and. Uh, uh, okay, let me ask you a quick question. Did you, did you, uh, I, I don't, don't want to say this the wrong way. Did you take them serious? Like, did you think that this oh, would yeah. do something? Oh, oh yeah. 
I yeah, I did. I I I you know, but they had to they had to to get there, you know. They mm-hmm. had to get past me in order to uh, uh for me to do something with them, you know. Okay. And uh um one day at rehearsal, uh Prince was playing guitar and then he stopped and he goes over to Linda who was playing keyboards and he says, Linda, he says, this is what I want you to play. And he started doing chords on the piano. And I'm looking at him and I'm going like, now, wait a minute. This guy plays guitar and keyboards. Mm. And I went like, oh, wow. So then I, he, he went over to Andre. He said, let me hold your bass. Now, Andre denies this, but I, you know, and I talked to Andre about it. And uh, Prince took his bass and played, you know, I mean, he was just thumping the bass, you know, and he gave it back to Andre and then Andre said, okay, I know what you want. And then, you know, and I'm going like, well, wait a minute, this guy plays guitar, he plays bass and keyboards, you know, so after mm-hmm. the rehearsal, I go, uh, have you been in a recording studio before? To Prince? And he goes like, no, I haven't. And I was in the studio at that time. I was in Cookhouse Recording Studios you know, recording some of my stuff. And it was just me and the guitar. And uh, I says, well, and I just put this band together with Wendell Thomas, the bass player. And uh, I want to book time in the studio to do these songs, these five songs. And uh, uh, he says, no, I haven't been in the studio before. And I says, good. I said, well, you're coming with me. And, And not only when I was rehearsing with Grand Central did we just do music. You know, we put the instruments down a few times and stuff, and I talked to them about business of music, mm. you know, how you make money in the studio, you know, as studio mm. musicians. You know, when your record is played on the radio, that you're getting paid every time because that's your work, you know, and you get paid, you know, and you have to belong to performance rights organizations such as ASCAP or BMI, you know, mm-hmm. as a songwriter and a publisher. So uh, I gave Prince a tape of the five songs that we were doing. I was just playing guitar. And uh, he learned, I said, learn some parts. And the bass player learned his parts. Keyboard player learned his part. And the drummer learned his part. Now, I was just talking to Wendell uh, last night. And he was saying that, Pepe, he said, I know that Prince hadn't been in the studio. You took him in for the very first time. He says, but do you know that that was my first time in the studio <laughs> and that was Pierre's first time in the studio mm. and his brother, Dale, that was his first time in the studio. Mm. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I didn't even, I said, what? I said, I didn't even know that, you know. And, uh, you know, and during this time, I was hanging out with Cynthia Johnson, you know, and I dated her for a little while and stuff, you know. And uh, um, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, they had this bus, a flight time, you know, old school bus, <laughs> and uh, they called it flight time. So I used to see these guys like all the time. And uh, my thing was the only way you're going to make it is that you have to go into a recording studio and record. Mm. That's, the only, that's the only way you're going to get professional music done, you know, and uh so after I was in the studio and then everybody else started going to the studio, Prince learned a lot, you know, by going into the studio with me. 
And the next day, matter of fact, he had called me up and said that he made an error uh, in his guitar playing and he wanted to fix it. I was going golfing. So, and I called the studio up and I said, well, let Prince in the studio. He wants to change something. I don't know what it was because all the stuff that I heard that he played was awesome. You know, it was just mm -hmm. fantastic. So I went golfing. He went to the studio. He changed what he had to change and stuff. And and to me, it was just the same as he did before. You know, maybe <laughs> he just didn't like it, you know, but, uh, you know. Uh, did you did. did you ever have to, like, uh, for any of these guys, did you have to go talk to their parents first? Or I was just curious, like, how that worked? Like, Well, with Prince, it was uh, Andre's mom because uh, okay. Prince was living with Andre at the time. Mm-hmm. And Bernadette, she she reminded me so much of my family in Brooklyn that I just totally loved her, man. She was mm. just she was the matriarch of the family, man. She was great, and uh, everybody supported, you know, Andre and Prince, you know, doing music and stuff. Uh, um, Andre had had a brother named Eddie, and um, he he knew a lot about the business too, and. Um, you know, me and him used to talk a lot and stuff like that. And we exchange, you know, ideas and things like that. But, yeah, we got the support uh, from Bernadette. Um, from Wendell, um, no, I didn't have to talk to his mom or anybody, you know. And Pierre, yeah, I talked to his parents. And uh, they loved the fact that we were in the studio because, you know, nobody was in the studio. Right. That was, a, that was an exclusive type of thing. You not like today where I'm just going to the studio and you right, had to really yeah. know what you was doing and I, it wasn't free. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't. Well. I was paying like a hundred dollars an hour, man, right, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I booked time at Cookhouse Recording Studios. I booked four hours and we did five songs in four hours. Just kicked them That's off crazy. one right after the other. That's crazy. But these guys had rehearsed for a couple of weeks, you know, so everybody knew their, their parts like the back of their hand. Mm. So we went in the studio and Prince uh, counted out one of the songs and uh, Wendell counted out some songs and stuff. I counted out some songs and we just did it. One, two, three, four, five, man. And then we were done. And then uh, uh, when I got the, the tapes at home of what we did that day, and I would play them, and I was going like, wow, what is Because I didn't know what Prince was playing. I was just concentrating on my part, you know? Mm -hmm. And everybody was on time, and, you know, the drummer was on time, the bass player, keyboard, uh, Pierre Lewis. Pierre Lewis now is the musical director for the uh, for the Commodores, you okay. know? Okay, and, uh And Dale, Dale was playing the drummer. He was playing with uh, Robbie Krieger from The Doors and stuff, you know? Um, so these guys went on. And matter of fact, Dale played uh, uh, for Prince's Madhouse uh, album. That's right. I remember seeing his name. You know, mm -hmm. so he was on there and stuff, you know. But uh, I would listen to the uh, the tracks that we did at the studio. And then Wendell would call me up, the bass player, and say, man, did you hear? You hear what Prince is playing? And I was going like, yeah, man. And we was on the phone for about an hour going <laughs> over. Man, how did he come up with that? How did he, you know? How did he know to do this, you know? Mm. And I've been in studios before, and I've never heard anything like what he was playing, you know? And I was around some great guitar players, you know? And, uh, man, he just did such a great job. Did you ever, um, 
Did you now? I don't know. Was he simultaneously? Was he also starting to do some of the stuff at Moon at this point? No, or he wasn't. After? No, he hadn't even met those guys yet. Okay, okay. you know, he hadn't even met them, and, and, and that's where my uh, situation comes up that these guys didn't even uh, uh, um, recognize me, you know, or talk about me when they did interviews and stuff like that. Chris Moon and Owen Husney. So I, I took the tapes from uh, Cookhouse Recording Studios. And I went to New York, you know, because I was going to get me a record deal, you know. And uh, so Wendell went went with me and uh, I went over to Teddy's house in uh, Nyack, New York. And Teddy helped me uh, with those songs, too. I I had the tapes with me and uh, he listened to uh, uh, the tapes because he had his own studio in his house where he had a two inch recorder and a. uh, recording um, machine and he put it on he started listening he said oh yeah this is good he said, and he added horns and he added strings to a lot of the stuff and of course I had to pay him it cost me ten thousand dollars wow you know <laughs> you know and where did I get the ten thousand I was about to say you had a nice little bag back then <laughs> yeah I I um because when I was in Minneapolis I met these guys uh, who taught me how to golf and they were from uh, Latrobe, Pennsylvania, uh, Mark McDermott and Mike McDermott. And uh, they used to um, um, come over to uh, my house a lot and hear, the, you know, the music that, you know, that I was doing. And, uh, and I told them, yeah, I'm going to go to New York and get signed and stuff, but I need money and blah. And they gave me $10,000. Wow. Gave me, I'm talking cash. It came to my house one day <laughs> and threw a bag at me and shit. Now, and let me back I, up again. I misheard you. Now, who are these brothers again? Uh, these are two white guys. Oh, okay. M- Mark McDermott and, and Mike McDermott. They were from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. They live right next door to Arnold Palmer, you know, the golfer. And their father used to play uh, cards and play golf with Arnie. So he knew the whole family. Mm. You know, so when they came to Minnesota, you know, I don't know how he got the money, but he <laughs> gave me 10 grand and I went to New York and paid Teddy for his work and and studios that we went to. And uh, and then we started shopping the tapes, me and my other friend, Ike, who wrote Love and Cup with me. Quick question. Did you have to pay that money back? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and I paid it back, too. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And uh, um, matter of fact, I paid it back with interest. Mm, there you go. And uh, um, so my friend Ike and myself, we went to uh, Brunswick Records. That was our first record company that we went to. Jackie Wilson was signed to uh, Brunswick. Okay. And I knew that I wasn't going to sign with Brunswick. I knew it from the jump. And uh, I was just saying that we just go in here just to get the rhythm of what's happening. You know, so we went up in there and we talked to the A&R guy. So we knew the formula now. Now we go on the RCA. OK, we hooked up an appointment, went to RCA, you know, and they said, yeah, this is good, but we're not signing anybody right now. We said, OK, then we went to uh, Columbia, you know, and uh, they were the same thing. They wouldn't sign anybody, but they liked the music, so on and so forth. So then we went to Polydor. I, I was hooking up an appointment with Polydor. So they hooked up an appointment for me 
And then they would call me up a day before I was supposed to go and they would cancel. Hmm. And I said, oh, man, so he says, OK, we'll have to make you a new appointment. So they made a new appointment and then they canceled that one. And they did this five times. So by then I was pissed. You talking about somebody who was pissed off, but I knew that I had to keep my composure, you know, because that's not the way to be, you know, in the mm -hmm. music industry. Mm -hmm. So by the time that uh, um, I went back to Teddy's house and by the time we had the fifth appointment, I was telling Teddy about it. And Teddy had said, do you want me to go with you? And that I was totally in shock. I said, you're going to go with me and stuff? I said, yeah, come on. And so by the, they had canceled me five times. They felt so bad. And I was so nice to them on the phone going like, okay, hook up the next appointment and blah, blah, blah. I didn't get mad or anything like that, but even though I was pissed. So the next appointment that I had with Polydor, they felt so bad that I was talking to the vice president of Polydor. Hmm. And Teddy went with me. So we went up in there and stuff and he heard the music and he likes the music. And then Teddy goes, uh, yeah, I can be remixed and stuff and, you know, and everything. So they signed me. Okay. They signed me uh, about a week later under the tutelage of Hank Cosby. Now, Hank Cosby was one of the original funk brothers from Motown. Mm. And he was uh, uh, working at Polydor. So Hank signed us. And Hank had uh, produced for Once in My Life for Stevie Wonder and also My Sharia Moore uh, for Stevie Wonder. And he was a co-writer. And he wrote this song for us, 94 East, called Fortune Teller. And I wrote 1015. And uh, so after Hank had came to Minneapolis, I went back to Minneapolis, of course. And Hank came to Minneapolis to see us and we would sing songs in my living room and everything like that. And uh, uh, then he'd go back and then he would call us and say, OK, um, you guys have to come to. Uh, no, he, he would go back to New York. Then he came back to Minneapolis to record at Sound 80. Mm. So I go into Sound 80 to record uh, the whole band and uh, we see Prince. Coming out of Sound 80. <laughs> and Prince goes, what are you doing? And I says, man, we getting ready to record our single. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm doing my demo. I said, really? And he introduced me to Owen Husney, and he introduced me to Chris Moon. Okay. And I said, all right, okay, cool. So Prince says, well, can I play on you guys' record? And I said, sure, come on, let's go. So he played on Fortune Teller. Uh, he played guitar on Fortune Teller with us, and he also sang backgrounds uh, with the girls, Marcy and Christy. Hmm. And he played uh, guitar on uh, 1015, too. So we, we did that, and Hank goes back to New York, and uh, he's mixing the songs and stuff. And then he wanted another lead singer on there, because none of us was really good lead singers. I just did the best that I could. <laughs> So um, I go, he flew me to New York and he says, first of all, and Bobby Z at the time was our drummer, you know, okay, we had okay. let Dale go. So Bobby Z was our drummer when we got signed to Polydor. So we go, I go back to New York and Hank says, um, 
I'm going to have another lead singer sing on this stuff. And I said, okay, who is he? Colonel Abrams. Right? Ah, interesting. So Colonel, and I had met Colonel before uh, uh, Hank did, before Hank did, because Colonel used to hang out with me and Ike in Harlem. And, uh, mm-hmm. and he was good and stuff. So when I go back to New York and then I see Colonel and we go like, oh, man, what's up? Well, how you doing, <laughs> man? And he sang the lead on Fortune Teller, you know. And mm-hmm. um, then uh, 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 Hank goes, well, this drummer, I, you know, the drum I, I don't like. I don't like the drum, you know. You got to change the drums. And I can't argue with him. I can't go like, hey, yeah, but Bobby's our drummer, mm-hmm. you know. I couldn't argue with him. He's the producer. I'm co-producing. I'm going like, okay, he's the man. So he brought in this guy named Buddy Williams. Buddy Williams was one of the top drum session players, you know, in the country. Hmm. You know, he sat down with the song. He heard it twice and then sat down on his drums, man, and played the hell out of them. (laughs) You know, now I never released that version with Colonel singing and uh, 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 Buddy Williams on drums. I have it. Hmm. You know, I might have to go back in the studio and, and remix it and stuff where you can hear Colonel because Colonel passed away a few years ago. And uh, uh, hmm. uh, and Bobby was upset. I didn't know how to go back to Minneapolis to tell him that they took his drums off. Uh, you know? right. So I think my bass player is the one <laughs> who told him that we had to take your drums off. And he was he was angry with me. He was so pissed off. But it was nothing that I could do. There was nothing I could do. Hmm. I said, just learn the parts. And when we go on tour, you can play the parts and stuff. So, but before that happened, we waiting for our release to come out. And what happened, Hank got fired. Mm. So Hank got fired from Polydor. They had a new guy coming in and they didn't see eye to eye. So we got dropped from Polydor. So we get dropped for Polydor before the record even comes out. Mm. I tell Prince and Andre, man, we got dropped and stuff. And Prince was pissed off himself. And he goes like, man, he said, Pep, man, we got to go back in the studio. And I says, all right. So he told Andre, he says, we got to go back in the studio with Pepe, man. And Andre said, all right, cool. And I'm thinking, where am I going to get the money (laughs) (laughs) to pay for the studio? But I booked it anyway. I just booked it. And so we went into Sound 80. And that's when we did Loving Cup. Um, Dance to the Music of the World mm. and uh, Just Another Sucker, which Prince and I wrote that track, you know. Was and, Prince uh, signed at this time yet? No, he wasn't was signed he? yet. He okay. was just, he was just signed, just signed. Matter, matter of fact, yeah, he just signed. He was just signed. So we couldn't tell Warner Brothers that he was playing he was with playing. them. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wondered. He was Man. just signed at that time. Yeah. So, man, so you had all of this, all of these years of work and just everything and all the connections. You actually finished the album and then label politics. Yeah. Boom. You know, okay. It just didn't come out. So, you know, that's what it was. So at that point, I said, okay, look, I said, Prince is signed with Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. I don't want what happened to me happen mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. So I dropped Everything that I was doing of trying to get re-signed by, to another label and all that type of stuff, even though it was it was good that I can go into another label and say, yeah, we were signed with Polydor, you know, 
And, you know, they would listen to us, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. At least we were signed. But I didn't go that route. I just said, okay, I'm going to concentrate with Prince and stuff. And uh, and I told him, I said, no, I'm just going to concentrate with you, man, you know, and that was it. So um, Prince was signed. He was uh, 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 rehearsing uh, for band members at uh, Dale's Tire Mart in Minneapolis. And then one day he got robbed. So it was uh, it was either Prince left the door unlocked or somebody broke in. We still don't know what happened. I think Prince left the door unlocked. That's what happened because <laughs> he used to do stuff like that, you know. And uh, uh, so when they got robbed and I had borrowed him my my speakers, I had some giant speakers, but they couldn't take those because they were huge. They were just too big. Mm. So I told Prince, I says, OK. I said, you're going to practice at my house. Ain't nobody coming in there. Mm-hmm. You know? So they moved all this stuff over to uh, my house in South Minneapolis and started rehearsing there. And then what really blew my mind was the fact that not only did they rehearse there for 12 hours a day, wow. every day, that I went over to Prince's house one day after a, a rehearsal. So it must have been maybe like 11, 1130 or something like that. But they just finished at my house at 10 p.m. And uh, and I couldn't get in. I, I was ringing, ringing the doorbell, knocking on the door and, I, you know, nobody would answer. But I seen Prince's car sitting out front. So I knew he was in there. So I I heard this tapping, you know, this tapping. And I was going like, what the hell is that? I walked around to the side of the house. And I looked in the basement window, and Prince was down in the basement playing drums. Wow. Putting in work. And this is after 12 hours of practice. Mm. You know, so this guy, you know, I mean, I mean, he inspired me at that point. Wow. You know, and I said, man, I said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to practice. Well, finally, I got in, you know, uh, and I told Prince what I had to tell him. But then I was just like, he inspired me, man. And I said, wow, you know, mm-hmm. um, I said, after 12 hours of practice, this guy comes home and he's practicing drums, mm-hmm. you know, and I says, how can he do that? I went home and I says, I'm going to start practicing my guitar. All, you know, I got to like four hours and I was going like, I can't do it. After <laughs> 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 four hours of practicing guitar, I said, no, nah, man, I said, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. Did, I can't practice no twelve hours, man. Right. I can't even do it. How, how did you? Uh, how did so? At this point, Prince is signed, and they're rehearsing. Yeah. As the album done at this point? Yeah, the it, album was out. Okay, the album was doing really well. Uh, it's the first fact, album, right? Yeah, the For okay. You album, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I heard it on a soap opera. You know, really, uh, his song, one of his songs. You know. So I called him up. I said, dude, do you know they playing your song on the soap opera? He's going like, what? I go like, yeah, man, you know. <laughs> I said, you got to get paid for that. But see, I had, <laughs> when Prince got signed, I'm jumping back a little bit, but when he got signed, I told him, I says, they, they're going to ask you these questions. Mm. I said, one of the first questions they're going to ask you is, do you have a publisher? I said, when they ask you that, just tell them, yes, I have a publisher and they will leave you alone. I said, because if you say no, 
they're going to say, ah, don't worry about it. We'll publish your music for you. Mm. And that's your rights. That's your rights. That means that they own your music. Yeah, you the writer, but they own it, mm. you know? So um, I feel I, I wrote into uh, New York for application uh, uh, to get from BMI, Broadcast Music Incorporated, which is a performance rights organization who collects your money for you for radio, movies, TV, and stuff like that. And uh, so we got the forms in. I sat down with Prince. I, I filled the form out with him. And I was already a member of BMI, so I already knew, you know. And uh, so we did that. So now we send it into uh, New York to BMI. And I said, now you are a professional songwriter because these people will collect your money and you'll get your money for uh, what's played on the soap opera, what's played on radio and all this other stuff. So uh, about two weeks after that, they're still rehearsing. They rehearse at my house for about six months. So um, I get a letter in the mail because I was getting all the mail. I had Prince's checkbook and I and uh, and all the mail was coming to my house. So um, I opened the mail up and it was a, a, a letter from his attorney in Los Angeles. Hmm. And in the envelope, I opened it up. It was forms to join BMI. So I went downstairs, I broke up the rehearsal and I said, Prince, come here, let me talk to you for a minute. So he comes upstairs. I said, this is what I just got from your attorney in Los Angeles. I showed him the paper. He said, but we already did that. And I said, yeah. I said, but look at the bill. The bill mm. for them to do what we had already did for a price of a stamp. They were charging him $900. Wow. You know? so here's where it starts. And I said, see, I said, you don't even, we don't even have to do that. You know, just call them suckers up and tell them that you're already in BMI, you know, so you don't have to pay no $900, you know. So these are the things that I was helping Prince with, right. with business and stuff like that. And so you can see the seeds that you have planted into him early on. You see later on in his career where a lot of that's coming from, right? Like, oh, yeah. So that's very interesting. Very interesting. I, I was curious. Was two questions in this then. <clears throat> who was his, I know who his manager was, but I mean, who were the people in his ear? Who was, was he just making moves by himself? Because I'm curious, how did he get a, uh, an attorney in, in, in uh, California? Well, yeah, in well, that was through his manager okay. because he recorded his album in, um, in, in Los Angeles. So definitely he had to have some attorney even when he signed the, the contract uh, for Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. okay. So these was his attorneys and stuff. But his manager was telling him to stay away from family and stay away from friends. Mm. You know, this is where all the separation starts coming in at, you know. And, and just be clear, we're talking about uh, Mr. Owen Husney. Yeah. And we've had Owen on the show, we've talk, talked about yeah. this. So we're not skirting around nothing. But you know. Yeah, no, but, you know, Owen is pissed off at me. You know, and I don't care. You know, I really don't care. He wants to take all the credit for discovering Prince and leaving me out. And uh, what happened, I was over Prince's house one day and I went over uh, just to talk to him. And he 
he wanted something. I don't know what it was, but then is this the whole I thing about was, some air conditioning or fan or something? Yeah, yeah, a space heater. That's what it was. Space it was heater. A heater because it was cold. I said, "Well, where's your manager at?" I said, "He's supposed to be helping you. Where's Owen?" He says, "I don't know." You know, so I, that's when I said, "Okay, I'll be back." I got in my car and I drove to Owen's office, and uh, and I said, "Owen, I said, why are you here?" You know, at this office, and you and your artist needs needs stuff. You know, you're supposed to be in L.A. or New York, Chicago, somewhere lobbying for your artist. And this is what he told me, and I can't make this up. He said, "Why should I leave my job for an artist that probably won't make it?" Mm. You know, and I said that, and. I mean, he said that, and I said, Owen, oh, he said, Pepe, you, you manage him. That's what he said. And I says, Owen, I am not a manager. I said, but I'm not going to see Prince get messed up out here. I'm not going to, I didn't use the word mess, you know. <laughs> there was an F to it, you know. <laughs> I said, right. I'm not going to see Prince get messed up out here. And, uh, um, and I told him right then and there, I said, you're fired. Now, whether I didn't have the legal uh, authority to to fire him, but I told him, you're fired, you know, mm. point blank. And then I went back to Prince's house and I said, I said, Owen is out. He's out. He says, Prince says, okay. You know? Interesting. <laughs> he didn't say why or anything like that. He just says, okay, you know. And uh, so then I started managing, you know, and Warner Brothers flew Prince and I to North Carolina to do uh, uh, album sign-ins and all this type of stuff. And is that like some of the pictures we see? Is like a picture yeah, I think of right, you sitting yeah. with Prince. Okay. Yeah, we were in North Carolina doing Let, that. Just, album just to back up just a second, you said you fired Owen. Yeah. Now I assume these they had a contract with Prince. Yeah, right. That's why I so, said I didn't really have the authority to do okay. it. So later on, uh, Prince and and Owen made some kind of deal. I don't know what it was, but they made some kind of deal, you know. But Owen got mad at me because uh, somebody who was writing a book about Prince had uh, interviewed me and I told him, you know, what he had said. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like I can pull this out of the clear blue sky and just lie, you know. I mean, he actually said that. And um, Owen got pissed off at me. And I says. I said to him, I said, why are you, why are you pissed off at me? He said, what you said in the interview. I said, what did I say? And then he, he, he sent me the page that was in this guy's book and what I said. And I said, yeah. I said, but that's the truth. You know? I said, that's the truth, man. You want me to lie? I mean, that's the truth. See, Owen thinks that the only thing I did for Prince was let him use my house for rehearsal. Hmm. You know, he don't know about the year before that, that prepping these guys and prepping Prince, mm -hmm. you know, so that they could get a record deal. You know what I mean? You know, uh, uh, so by the time Prince met Owen, he was ready. He was ready. So then that's when Owen says, OK, yeah. Uh, and Chris Moon, hey, go in my studio and write some songs and whatever, you know. And uh, and then they took the credit because Chris Moon still goes out there saying that he's the first producer of Prince, you know, and I, I don't know how you can say that 
when I produced them in 1975, and he didn't met me Owen and those guys until 76 or 77. Mm. You know? <laughs> interesting how they do that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. And then I worked with Owen, too. I worked with him. I, you know, we did promos for Prince. We went to Chicago. I drove, uh, Owen drove to Chicago with me in the car and his wife in the car, you know, to go up in the hood in Chicago. So now I know why mm. they picked me to go with them because mm. they were going into the hood. You know, <laughs> they needed a brother to go up in there. <laughs> say that. Let me ask so you this. Were you, were, so were you getting paid? No. For, I so wait, 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 wait. So you're not getting any sort of paycheck or no reimbursement for any? No, I never, I, I never wanted it. You know, because I knew what it would take for a new artist to break in this business, and I was, and Prince had an eighty thousand dollar tour budget, and he was paying his band. You know, and uh, um, I couldn't take any money from him. You know, he was my cousin. You know, and I'm going mm. like, no, I just, you know, I just couldn't take anything. I never took a dime from him, not one red penny, you know. Wow. And uh, and I didn't need to. I didn't, you know, you know. I mean, he was just starting, you know. I just wanted to get him to a point where he can take care of himself. So, you know, after 12 years of with, being with him, you know, I felt that he was, he was ready. He can go out on it. He can be on his own. He knows the business. He's got all his people around him. He's got hit records, you know, and he was he was cool, you know. Uh, j just going back, um, that first show that he does at the was it the Capri? Yeah, I produced that show. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about that and how that came to be. Yeah, see, I produced that show, and I'm just getting credit for it now, you know. But um, what happened? Warner Brothers was coming into town to see if Prince was ready to go on tour. So um, me and my people, Marcy and Christy and myself, um, went to the Capri Theater and uh, met up with Ira. Ira, I forgot his last name, but Ira um, um, was the owner of the Capri Theater. And we said, yeah, we want to bring Prince in here. And you know, he says, okay. So and we went and got lighting and stuff. We had to pay $2,000 for lighting and all of this type of stuff. So, and we was uh, collecting the, the money and tickets at the door. And it was my people that was doing that because I didn't trust anybody else doing that because they probably try to run away with the money, hmm. you know. So uh, the money that we made was enough to pay the lighting bill you know, for lights and all that type of stuff. So nobody made any money. So I ushered in the Warner Brothers people. They were had their limos outside. It was cold. And they had the engines running to keep the cars warm and stuff. And I ushered them up to their spot where they were going to sit at. And uh, Prince put on his show. And I thought it was great. I thought it was perfect. But Warner Brothers didn't think that he was ready yet. So Prince had to go back to the drawing board. So he got another rehearsal space and they started rehearsing, you know, more. And then he did a show at the State Theater in uh, Minneapolis. And that's when everything broke loose at that point. You know, that was his second album. I Want to Be a Lover album. Okay. You know? And uh, he was doing good. You know, so. let, let me ask you about the second album, because we had a gentleman on there uh 
uh, Mr. Jones, Perry. Oh, Perry he, Jones. Yeah, yeah, I worked with Perry. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was talking about sort of how he got involved, uh, I guess, during this period of the second album. Perry Jones and Tony Winfrey. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, just so who's Prince's manager at this time? Does he have? Uh, it was Perry Jones and Tony Winfrey. Okay. They were his managers then. Um, or what, did they leave? I'm trying to remember because there were some other strange looking people up in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of bleeds uh, into what I another thing I wanted to ask you in terms of that too. I assume you see other people start to come into the mix. Like right, yeah. it's not just your cousin no more. And maybe Andre and some of these people that, you know, from the town, there's right. these other outsiders coming in and I'm very curious. I'm a fan from outside looking, but does it ever get to a point where, you know, see, see people jockeying for position and sort of trying to move other people out the way and let, so we can get to Prince's ear and type of thing? Um, I don't know. I think that maybe they had already gotten to his ear by the second album. And because when I um, uh, went up to the dressing room after the show, Prince was sitting in a chair in the middle of the dressing room. And, uh, and, it, and it wasn't, and when I seen him, it wasn't like he was going like, hey, Pap, man, what's happening? What's going on? You know, it wasn't nothing like that. It was like, hi, you know, hello. You know, and I'm seeing this white dude standing next to him. I'm going like, who's this mother? You know, <laughs> <laughs> who's this guy? You know, so I just wished him his, you know, the best and everything like that. And, uh, uh, and you know, left. I think that uh, Fargnoli then came in. Bob Cavallo and Fargnoli mm, okay. uh, was his managers at the time and stuff. And then they had to come and get me because Prince wasn't really – you know, listening to them, you know, and they knew that uh, Prince was listening to everything that I was asking of him, you know what I mean? So I did, uh, I was with him then, and then uh, uh, Prince was playing at the uh, uh, this club in uh, Minneapolis. It's a big, big, big stadium. I forgot the name of it, and they're not there anymore, but anyway, uh, uh I was in the dressing room and Prince was getting ready to come on and my wife and Prince's mother was trying to get in. Um, oh, I was trying to think of that name, Metro. Uh, I can't, I can't remember. The Met. It was the Met. Yeah. In, in Minneapolis and um, in Bloomington. And I, I told Prince, I says, you know, first of all, somebody came up to me after I left the dressing room and I was sitting down in the audience and they says, Pepe, and I go like, yeah. And they says, uh, uh, your wife and Prince's mom is trying to get in and they won't let them in. Hmm. And I went like, what? <laughs> so I went to the door and I said, man, this is Prince's mom, man, you know, and his cousin, let these people in. And everybody knew who I was, you know, so they, they let them in and stuff. And I went back to the dressing room and told Prince, I had to get your mom and, Chantel in and stuff because they wouldn't let him in. So he just looked at me and said, all right, cool, you know, great. And he did a good show and stuff and everything like that. But it, it was okay. It was okay. Did, did you see a, a change in him? In yeah, I did. Time? 
And, and that was one of the reasons why I left, because uh, um, Prince started changing. And, uh, and I knew that one day he was going to say something to me that I didn't like. And me being from Brooklyn, I didn't want to punch him in his face. So I just <laughs> What would make you think he was going to say something? Have you seen yeah, things I, before? Yeah, I was looking at how he was talking to people, how, he, you know, he was taking control of a lot of things. Uh, uh, see, it used to be when Prince wanted something from the store, he would say, oh, I got to go to the store and get me some soup or something or whatever, whatever it is. And then people would go like, no, 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 no. I'll go get it. I'll go get it. And then Prince would go like, no, 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 I'll go. And then Prince would go. Hmm. And the next time it was, oh, man, I got to go to the store and get me a salad or some chicken or whatever. And people would go like, oh, no, no, let me go. I'll go. I'll go. And Prince says, okay, you know, and that's how it started. Hmm. And these people started going to the store for him. So now all of a sudden Prince started saying, hey, go get me uh some McDonald's or go get me some soup or go get me a soda or go get me this, you know? And I started seeing the change in him then, you know? He wasn't the, the, the really prince that I knew from, from, a, from a while back, you know? He started changing his stuff, you know? And then I had asked him when I was in Chicago and doing promo for him and I came back, I said, you know, Prince, I said, when you go to Chicago, you know, um, before you go to Chicago, I want you to call these, these guys up from the radio station who were playing your music and thank them for, for playing your music. And he said to me, he says, uh, do you think the record is a hit? And I said, yeah, I think it's a hit. Then he goes, then I don't need to call them. See? Mm. <laughs> So he started changing, man, you know. And then plus that thing when he did with Dick Clark on American Bandstand. And I met Dick Clark. I met his wife, you know, and everybody, you know. So I knew Dick Clark. And uh, he was on American Bandstand. And then we're all watching the TV screen and Prince could barely talk. And he came back to Minneapolis. And I went, I man, I barely, I, I was cursing him out, you know. <laughs> What in the, you know, who the, what the, what, you know, what happened? And he goes, Peppy, he says, man, the minute that Dick Clark started talking to me, I thought that there was millions of people watching. And right then and there, he got stage fright, right then. Mm. And he said, that will never happen again, you know? And that's when he started controlling all his interviews, mm. you know? And you only can talk about certain things, you know, and that was it. You know. Wow. But, uh, you know, so. So you, um, and also, I mean, there's all these other people around. You mentioned uh, more stay earlier, of course, Andre, Simone. Right, yeah. Um, were you still working with them when those, when they sort of kind of split and went their own ways? Oh, stuff? yeah. When, when Mars came out with the time, the cool and all that. Well, I was talking about well, Andre, but yeah, with Morris too, I mean. Yeah, I, I was still there. I was still there. How, uh, how, how was the competition? Was there competition between? Because you mentioned competition early on when, when you saw groups in your day and it was just about how they would dress and try to, everybody would be good. Right, was, yeah. was well, that there, going on? No, it was just, um, all I was concerned about was Prince's career and that they didn't rip him off. That That's one of my main mm. things. 
Um, Andre, was he? I don't. Was he still with the band on the "I I Want to Be a Lover" album? I can't remember. I think he was. I, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, he was. And uh, so there was no problems there. We all used to hang out. We all had the same friends. We used to see each other hanging out. Morris used to hang out at my house all the time, all the time. Then we got into his his Mustang and stuff and 5.0 and drive around Minneapolis. And, you know, we run into Prince and we didn't want to run into Prince because Prince was square, you know. <laughs> he didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He didn't do nothing, you know. Wow. So we run into Prince in Minneapolis and and Mars goes, oh shoot, man! I go, what? He said, there's Prince. I said, oh man, you know. <laughs> Prince comes running over to the car. Hey, man, what are you guys doing? We go like nothing. We're not doing anything, Prince. You know. <laughs> Y'all make him sound like he was a lame or something. He was, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Oh, and so Prince gave me a tape. He gave me a tape in the car. You know. And uh, we said, all right, man. And he put, Morris puts the tape in, and it was If You See Me. It was a. Wow. <laughs> Prince had recorded If You See Me. So this was like in the 80s now. So, you know, and I said, wow, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to put it out on one of my albums. Mm. So, but he never did. He, he never put it out. So I started doing um, my uh, Minneapolis Genius with uh, uh, Tony Sylvester. Uh, Tony Sylvester was uh, the producer and member of the main ingredient. You know, okay. everybody plays the food mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sometimes with Cuba Gooden Sr., you know, and all that, you know. So Tony needed uh, some musicians. And I said, well, I got two musicians here who can play all the stuff you need. Uh, so Prince Andre and myself went to New York and uh, we did sessions with Tony, you know, um, uh, and this was the first time that Prince was, you know, in New York. First time that uh, Andre was in New York and we got him a room at the Hilton Hotel in Manhattan and stuff. And we did sessions with uh, with Tony Sylvester and stuff. You know, this this was way before. The period yeah, that we're kind of talking. Okay. Yeah. Good. Oh, well, to go back to that that song, uh, or do yourself a favor, as we called his. Yeah, yeah. If you see and, me, do yourself a favor. And that yeah. I believe that's the version that recently came out on the. Uh, it's a nineteen ninety nine, oh, super the deluxe album. remastered right, version. Right. But yeah. before that was officially released, going back to the eighties again, this version, Prince's. Uh, a takeoff of Prince's version of your song was released on Jesse Johnson's album. Well, what happened was Jesse had heard Prince's version. Okay. I guess Prince played it for him, you know. So I was in New York recording Minneapolis Genius. And Jesse called me up, you know, and he says, uh, I want to do that track. So I said, go ahead, man. Prince ain't going to put it out. Because he hadn't put it out yet. So he had did another album and my song wasn't on it. So um, Jesse recorded it. He was signed with A&M. And we did about 400,000, you know, sales on that, which was good for me because I was getting royalty checks, you know. And, uh, um, and then Prince got mad at me, you know, when I got back to uh, Minneapolis 
And he says, man, he said, what happened with do yourself a favor? I said, what do you mean, what happened? He said, you let Jesse do it. And I said, yeah. I said, dude, I said, I got to eat too. I said, you told me that you was going to put it out. You know, it's not out. And that was the first argument that Prince and I ever had, you know. And um, so he stormed off. I stormed off and stuff. And we didn't speak for a while. And then Bobby Z gave a party at his house. And uh, uh, I went to that because I was invited. And and then Prince came in. You know, I was already there. And the Prince comes in with this girl. And I see him and we sit down and we talk. So we talked it out and everything was cool, you know. So, what, what period was this? Oh, remember? Lord, man. Dates, um, uh, 80s. It was in the 80s. I know that. Right. But I'm trying to think when it probably was like uh, it'd have been like eighty seven, eighty eight. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, somewhere around there. Okay, and he, at this point, he's a he, he's a superstar. Yeah, but he, he still did. wasn't where he wanted to be because I mm. asked him, man. We we he did a show at First Avenue, and uh, um, so we were leaving. I don't know where we were going. So Prince, me, and Morris were leaving, and. Uh, um, I told him, I says, well, Prince, you're there now. You're ready, man. He goes like, no, man. He says, I'm not there yet. I said, what do you mean? He says, I want to be where nobody can find me. Hmm. You know? So I guess that he was just, you know, tired of that. I know that when we were in North Carolina and uh, uh, security was getting really uh, uh, too relaxed and there were people coming up on stage and stuff, you know, and I'm looking at people that I haven't seen before on stage and I'm going like, oh, shoot. So I went down to Prince and I whispered in his ear and I said, the next time I bend down and talk to you, we got to go. So the Prince says, okay, he's signing albums and everything. And then uh, Tommy from Cameo, he was there too. He was signing albums. And, um, I got security together, and then I went to Prince, and I said, okay, man, let's go. Prince jumped up. We went through a gauntlet of security, back to the limo, back to the hotel. So we get back to the hotel. Prince comes in my room, and he goes like, man, I said, what's up? He said, I feel like a piece of meat being carried around. Hmm. And I said, wow. And I knew what it, I knew what it was. I knew the whole thing. And so we had to bring, I had to bring him back down to reality, you know. So I started talking to him about sports, hmm. children, you know, just normal things, family, mm-hmm. you know, just to calm him down, to bring him back down to earth. And then Tommy wanted to meet Prince from Cameo. So he came uh, into the uh, hotel room and him and Prince started talking after they said, hey, I'm Tommy, and blah, 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 whatever. And come to find out that uh, Tommy lived in New Jersey in the same building as Prince's half-sister, Sharon. <laughs> so it was like, oh, man, a small world. You right, know what right. I mean? <laughs> so, and Prince, was he was okay then. You know, he, you know, he wasn't that feeling that what he was feeling before, being carried like a piece of meat or whatever and stuff, you know. Hmm. 
So at that point, I thought, oh, okay, now Prince knows. He knows how to handle himself when he gets in that position again, you know. So um, uh, after that, I think I worked with him for a short period of time after that, then I decided to go. And I thought that he would be able to handle anything that that he came across, you know. And uh, but he, he he didn't, you know, he didn't, man, you know. Um, what do you mean he didn't handle? He couldn't handle. Well, it was because when he he got he got weird, you know, he got weird, man. He was alone all the time. We used to call him the lonely guy, you know. When Thanksgiving comes around and Christmas came around, Prince was all by himself. You know, where, where you're supposed to be with your family or your friends and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, he wasn't even around Andre, you know, because when Andre left, you know, and Andre was his best friend, mm-hmm. you know, so he wasn't even around them. So we started calling him the lonely guy, you know. And all this weird stuff that he was starting to do then, you know, uh, the slave thing with Warner Brothers on his face and stuff. And I know why the reason he did that. So that was that was OK, you know, but, um, you know, not doing what he's supposed to be doing as a business person. Mm. You know, he started lacking on that. But uh, and then he started doing these other albums like Rainbow Children, you know, that album and stuff. I love that album. <laughs> You know, I, I didn't like it because I, I, it wasn't radio for me, you know. Oh, uh, okay. It wasn't songs that you could play on the radio and stuff, you know. No, it wasn't. You know. Classic uh, album. But I, but I yeah, get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, what you know, uh, when he got married and then uh, lost his baby, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, he totally changed then. It was a total change because he got up with Larry Graham and he became a Jehovah Witness and everything, and and then that was, you know, that was terrible as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Okay. Do, do you, now, so, you know, it's an interesting perspective because you was there way back in the day and you've seen him grow and, and change and all these different things happening for him. From your perspective, like, what do you take, what do you make of his career that he did in music? You know. Oh, without a doubt, one of the best, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the best, man. This guy gets to do everything. He can do yeah. rock. He can do R&B, he can do pop. You know, I mean, you know, I followed his career, man. And I tell you, man, I, I love that guy. You know, uh, he, he always did great music. It, it, you can't question his musicianship. Or, or, or his music. You, you can't question it, you know, because he did what he had to do and people loved it. And he built a, a great fan base. You mm-hmm. know, he loved his fans, totally loved his fans and stuff. You know, we used to get letters um, um, uh, back when he was rehearsing at my house. And we used to sit down, me and Prince, and open up the letters and, you know, girls would send him little necklaces and stuff and <laughs> write letters. I love you and stuff. And Prince would look at me. How did this girl, how, how could she love me? She don't even know me, you know. Mm, <laughs> mm. And I said, that's the way it is, man, you know. I still got some of the letters, too. Wow. You know, you know, so 
what the, how do you um from the i think you said you first met him when he was was it 12 yeah he was 12 how, yeah. how do so you know you being you know the older older cat and you see the young yeah. boy and then he ends up you know obviously growing he becomes a man yeah not talking about the music part but in terms of that 12 year old boy and then the man he become what do you what do you think like well i I think he, he did well. But see, the thing is, is that Prince never worked a job in his life. Right. Music was his thing, you know, and he did not want to fail. You know, you can tell that, man, by him rehearsing so much and calling mm. up uh, musicians at three or four o'clock in the morning, come down to the studio now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to record. Um, I remember over North Side, we used to walk around and Girls used to come up to Prince and go, hi, Prince. And Prince looked at me and said, man, Peppy, you know, like last year, that girl never said a word to me, you know. Mm. And now she's saying hello. I said, it's because you who you are, man. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> we talked about a lot of things, Prince and I, you know, and him growing up, you know, girls and, you know, how to treat them and, you know, and all this type of stuff. Uh, you know, I was truly his mentor and, you know, uh, helping him out as much as I could. And, and and the one thing that I loved about him is that he trusted me, mm. you know, he trusted me, you know, and he did everything that I asked of him, you know, and I, I loved that part. But when he started to change and then it was different, you know, it was different. But, you know, I seen that growing up with my uncle and everything, you know, uh, other stars, you know, changing, you know, and, you know, so I seen it. So I, I recognize it. And uh, it was time for me to go. It was just time for me to go. Did you ever meet his father? I never met his father. But his mother, um, I met quite a few times. Well, I, I knew uh, Maddie Dell because my mother-in-law was uh, Prince's aunt, uh, his mother's sister. Okay, right. You know, and they were twins. <laughs> Maddie Dell and Edna May. They okay. were twins. Okay. So I used to see them all the time. You know, but I never met his father. From your vantage point, I, I would imagine his family was incredibly proud of him. Yeah, I, I, I believe that they were. I know that his mom was. I never met his dad, but I know that his mom was because I've seen her at concerts and stuff, you know. But, uh, you know, he... You know, he left home at a, a real early age and lived with the Andersons, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when you, I think he was like 13, you know, yeah. he started living with them. Because by the time I came back to Minneapolis, uh, when he was 16, he was living with Andre. Okay. You know, and uh, Andre's mom was, was actually his mom, really. I seen her give him a spanking for not going to school. <laughs> really? Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, and I went to pick him up to go to the studio, and she's whooping his butt. And I'm going like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> Get that switch. <laughs> That's uh, all right. That's yeah, all I didn't right. laugh or nothing like that. I just said, right, oh, right. okay, man, come on, let's go. Hell yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, we know what it is. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, your book starts interesting. I'll just to go back to your book for a second. And 
this, I just thought it was a very interesting way to start the book. I believe your book starts in terms of the Prince part. You're, it's you and Morris Day. Yeah. At the uh, Purple Rain premiere party. Right. Yeah. And I was curious. I just found it was interesting that the Morris was kind of going through his situation with the Prince camp that he reached out to you. Right. Like you were the guy to call to say, I yep. need some help, man. Yeah. Like he what? Called. How did, so did he just know how you had been working with Prince or you had been working with all of them and he just knew you were the trusted well, yeah, guy? I worked to? with all of them from Grand Central, okay. you know, and then I was in Purple Rain. So I was in the, on the set every day, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I was there when Prince and Andre had, I mean, Prince and Morris had the argument. You know, and uh, Morris had said to Prince had said to Morris, you owe me, man, you owe me, you know, and uh, uh, Prince and Morris said, well, if anybody owes anybody anything, you owe Pepe, you know, and mm-hmm. I turned around. I go, why are you put my name in this business? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> so Morris left. He left. Nobody mm-hmm. knew where he went and he went to L.A. That's all I knew. You know, next thing I know, he's calling me up, you know, saying, you got to help me, man. Prince is trying to destroy me. And I said, wow. So and then, and then I told him, I said, don't shake hands with anybody. Don't don't say yes to anybody. Don't do anything, you know. And I flew to uh, California and was with him at his apartment in Santa Monica. And he was just getting ready to get you know, how you say, kicked out of his apartment because he hadn't paid the rent. Mm, you know? That's crazy. He had no money because Prince was was holding up all the money because they had the same accountant. Wow. And then what happened was uh, there was a $17,000 uh, tax return from the federal government that Mars was supposed to get that was at the office. Now, Prince and his accountant was in Europe at the time, and which was lucky for us because... Uh, uh, we called the office. Uh, Mars' mother called the office and said, "Look, that's his money. You'll get in trouble with the with the government. So you make sure you courier that money right over to us. That check. So uh, uh, we got it. Mars cashed the check. We got his Porsche out of the shop. He caught up on his rent, and then I started building his team for him. I said, "Okay, you need a manager. You need." Uh, agent, you need an accountant, and you need a lawyer, hmm. you know. So uh, we started looking around. So I found David Braun, and we interviewed with him, and he knew Mo Austin, and him, Mo Austin, who was the president of Warner Brothers, get along very well. Because I told Morris, I said, anybody that you get have to get along with everybody. You can't have this guy don't like that guy, and that guy don't like that guy. Everybody's got to work together on this, you know. And we had got uh, uh, this one guy from Triad Agency. We got Rennett and Feldman from uh, uh, as his accountants, and we were talking to Sandy Gallen. Sandy Gallen um, uh, was manager of Whoopi Goldberg, Dolly Parton, Michael Jackson, you know, and uh, Sandy Gallen. And Mars never even signed with him, but Sandy was doing everything for us. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, he got us People magazine, followed us around for a day. He flew us to New York, 
you know, first class, you know, uh, we did the Merv Griffin show. We did David Letterman. We did People magazine. Um, um, and we came back to uh, California and we did Rolling Stone. We did. Uh, 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 oh, man, what is it? L.A. Times and, you know, mm -hmm. we did over 80 interviews that Sandy did with us, you know, and that's how I met because um, we was in New York. That's how I met Whoopi Goldberg and Calvin Klein. And Calvin Klein was a friend of Sandy Gallen, and he came to New York and he invited Morris and I up to Calvin Klein's apartment. So we went up there and then Whoopi Goldberg was there, you know. So we was hanging with her for a minute, you know. Now, is that you don't have to say it here, but is a isn't there an interesting story with Whoopi and you in the book or something? Where you come to find yeah. out you you had met her a long time ago or something like that? Yeah, right? I had. Yeah, hey. that's when I met her with okay. Morris Day and stuff. Oh, okay, you know. Yeah. Um, just to go back to the Morris thing. Uh, so when he reaches out to you, and this is before the movie had been released, it was for the party. Had you had had you had an opportunity to see the movie before it came out? No. And I asked that. Okay, that's interesting. I asked that because it's, you know, after that movie comes out, you know, Morris Day shines so so well in that movie. He's, you know, he's right. And so I'm curious, like, I was kind of curious what was the incentive to work with Morris and then all these other people are sort of did they already recognize, like, yeah, this dude is going to be, a, he's a star, well, too. Well, they but. knew Morris was a star because okay. what happened was all media, everybody was trying to get to Morris Day. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know. But what happened was, see, they contacted uh, Prince's uh, uh, people in, in uh, California. And all Prince had told them, if anybody asks for Morris, Tell them that Morris is not available. Wow. And that's what happened. So now when I got there and and uh, put his team together and then uh, I went up to uh, the president of Warner Brothers and uh, 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 we were talking and stuff. And I said that uh, Prince had a contract with Morris and the royalty rate was too low. So Mo Austin had... Um, moved up to his royalty rate to like 16% and said, don't tell Prince, you know. <laughs> really? So we couldn't tell him. So now one of my friends was dating this woman and her name was, uh, uh, oh God, it was on the tip of my tongue before. She was the host of Entertainment Tonight, the first host. Um, I know it's in my book, but I can't think of a name. No, um, Dixie Watley. Dixie, Dixie Watley. Watley was the host of uh, Entertainment Tonight. And I called her. And because uh, I had a number because I used to stay with her and her boyfriend in New York when I went to New York and hang out for a while. And uh, so I called her and I said, Dixie. She says, hey, Peppy, how you doing? I said, I'm doing fine. I says, uh, how would you like to have Morris Day on the show? And she flipped. <laughs> she goes, what? Everybody, I've been trying to get to him. Everybody's trying to get to him. Where is he? I said, he's right here <laughs> in Los Angeles with me and stuff. 
And she says, okay, um, I would love to do it. I would love to do it. Where can we do it at? And I says, uh, I don't know. I says, I'll call you back. And I went and I talked with the president, Warner Brothers. And I says, I got entertainment tonight. Want to in uh, interview Morris. Where can we do it? He says, we'll do it right here. Right here, Burbank, California. So we did it right there. Entertainment Tonight came into Warner Brothers in Burbank and uh, um, interviewed Morris right there. Wow. You know, so I had to break, I had to break the, um, uh, the situation between Morris and Prince. You Did know, Prince I, ever I, talk to you about this? Like, what do you Yeah, doing? yeah. We talked after um, we saw the premiere of the movie and uh, uh, Prince was kind of salty when he saw Morris, though. And uh, so me and Morris go into the theater. We sit down. And every time P Prince's picture came up on the screen, there was a group of girls that would scream every time. <laughs> so Morris looked at me. I looked at him. And he goes, he paid him. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so, so that was crazy, man. You know, that was crazy. L listen, are you trying to, are, do we gather that if not for yourself jumping in, would Prince kind of had just let this movie come out and Morris would have not even have really been doing nothing? Well, um, I think that the performance that he did in the film, he would have always, he would have, he, yeah. yeah, he would have been something. But I mean, in terms of like, the interviews and, and the stuff happening print for, in Prince's way, it would have been like, yeah, he's not available. It's just, you can only talk yeah, it about would have me. Been much harder, much That's harder. Very interesting. And Matter of fact, the ice cream castles album wasn't doing well. And, uh, I set it up with Warner brothers to call in to all the radio stations where uh, the record was weak at. And uh, so Morris came in and Warner Brothers had a list of radio stations to call. And we talked to all of those stations and the album went platinum. Man. So we helped that album to go platinum. Yeah. Hey, it's just interesting because looking at the movie, I mean, he steals the movie. You know, I mean, I, yeah, Prince absolutely. does his thing. Let me be clear. Like he's dynamic. He stole incredible. it. He was the star but, of the movie. Yeah, but he was like, no one thought that. Morris Day would like that's so unexpected, and he just came in and just he was hilarious and like right. I don't right. I don't see how they didn't think like, dude, this movie's gonna come out and yeah, Prince, you're gonna be a star, but people are gonna be talking. I mean, this guy's huge in this movie. You can't deny. I don't know how you how you gonna like try to push him over to the side. Like, yeah, right. That's yeah, kind of, that's interesting. Yeah. And that's his. And they was boys, so it's very interesting. Yeah, like, you know that's the out. whole thing. So, but I say when I sat down with Prince uh, after the the after after party, and uh, and I sat down. He was sitting alone, all by himself. So, so I went over and I sat down next to him, and I said, "Dude, I said, what's what's the problem with you and Morris, man? You guys got to stop this stuff, man. You know." And he said, "Well, Morris, you know, his mother called me a devil and blah." I said, "But are you a devil?" He goes like, no. I said, then, well, you know, come on, man. I said, Morris loves you like a brother, man. I, I don't see why you guys are, you know, doing this type of stuff and shit, you know. So, and Morris was there, too. He was there. And uh, so Prince didn't, you know, give me any good positive feedback 
So I went to Morris and I said, man, you know, Prince is just, you know, you know, he's not right right now. And then Morris said, all right, man, let's just jet. And so we left. You know, we got a couple of girls from Hollywood and we left. Man. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Y'all, were, were you guys just kind of like, man, this, and I'm, excuse my language, this nigga's tripping. Like, he on some other stuff, man. Well, he, we didn't know, man. He, you know, he was just, I, you know, he he was changing, man. He was just different, man, you know. That's unfortunate, man. That's the one thing, you know, we, I always remember hearing these stories of the time and Prince and, and Jesse and all that stuff. And, and then when they weren't around him anymore, I always felt like, man, if only them brothers had stayed together. I know. They were, I mean, even they were already all great, but it was just even been like just a camaraderie to, if they, you know, it had been even yeah, more even fantastic. Jimmy and Terry because yeah. he fired them. Right. You know, but that was the best thing that happened to Jimmy and Terry. You yeah. know? Yeah. So, you know. I guess everything happened the way it was supposed to. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the way I figure it. Yeah. And, and then years later, they obviously reconnected and they did another movie and right, all yeah. the other kind yeah. of stuff. All right. Oh, so um, I know I was going to ask you about the Morris thing. I think you touched on this in the book as well. All of that work you've been doing, you know, helping out Morris and stuff, yeah. you had to get paid, right? No, I didn't get paid for Morris either. That's when we had our big beef, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, but it, it was OK. You know, I helped him out and stuff. I, I seen him. um when did I see Morris? A couple years ago, you know, at a a fundraiser event, and they hired uh, Morris to play there. And uh, it was cool, though. I mean, we're still cool. We're still cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of time has passed, and, and yeah, you know, yeah, people got yeah. mature and moved on. But it is all just, I know is that I know what I did. Right. I know what I contributed. I know how I helped them. I know he'll never forget it, you know. You know, matter of fact, his brother, Morris' brother, at that event, it was uh, 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 it was the Negro College Fund, I think it was. Um, they raised over a million bucks and stuff, and I was there with U.S. Bank. And uh, Morris's brother had seen me, and uh, he came from uh, around the stage. And he looked at me and he says, you're Pepe, right? And I said, yeah, man. Hey, what's going on, brother? How you feeling? And he tried, he gave me, some, tried to give me some money, you know? Hmm. And I said, what is this? He says, you paid for something, I don't know, or you gave me money. I couldn't even remember. It was so long ago. He said, and I, I here, here, take this money. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, no, you keep it, man. He said, no, you got to take it, man. You got to take it. Wow. This is Morris's well, brother it, doing this. And I gave it to Marcy. <laughs> and then he took it out of Marcy's hand and gave it back to me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I said, all right, man. All right. So I just took it. I don't even know how much it was. A couple hundred bucks or some shit. I don't know. But I went backstage after that. And me and Morris had talked for a little bit. You know, and I talked to the rest of the fellas, you know, Jelly Bean and stuff that I know very well and stuff, you know. Uh, hmm. You know, but uh, yeah, yeah, you know, me and Morris are cool. Okay. You know, I just, it's important to, to put that out, man, because I think one of the parts of this story is like, again, you know, 
we talked about mentors and 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 sharing knowledge. Would you say somebody told you you tell people who deserve this information? Yeah, yeah. You you pass on the information to people who are worthy of it. Right. You know. And and you know the thing is, well, we gotta and and this I always say, you know, I love Prince and and, and all these guys, but there's still lessons and things to learn. Because oh, they, yeah. they made mistakes and different things that we can learn from. And I think one of the things, man, that I take away from it personally is like when you got cats that invest their time into helping you. And again, yeah. may may not be there the whole journey. They might just be there for a season, whatever. But when you got real people putting down their time and money to invest in you, yeah. You have to show them that respect. And, 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 and yeah, we respect people, but I'm talking about us as, you know, also monetary and finances. Right. That, yeah. that's, that's just yeah. keeping it on 100. Yeah. That's we got to right. be able to say, hey, man, my man, he, he was there from day one or he was one of the homies from back in the day. Let me, I got you, you know, from whatever capacity that I can get you. Right. Yeah. Yo, here's this, man. You all right? Cool. How's your mom and them? Right. You know what I mean? That's we yeah. have to get back to that kind of thing because that's what can keep us grounded. When, right. Especially when we look at, you know, cast like Prince, Mike and some of the other people, Whitney, when they get so big. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, the wolves going to come <laughs> and get in their ear. It's those types of if you have that sort of humility and being humble that you remember, you always have to show respect. And not only does he get to come in the show free or whatever but put some on his books yeah right you know yeah. what i mean or yeah. go check in and see how their family doing and these are the kind of things i think that it can keep you grounded so when right. you do yeah. get out there you're not by yourself you're not your right. mindset yeah, ain't on back, some lonely man. shit back yeah. Up, man. yeah man right yeah so, <laughs> so yeah i mean so that's why i say you're a very important part of this whole thing, not just the Prince, but to Morris and all these other people you've worked with. Yeah. And this is why when some of the fans get mad when they hear the narrative being pushed out, when they don't mention people like you, right. when they don't yeah. get that. So that lets you know, and to me, I say, well, you judge them by who they not talking to and why right. they not talking to them. Right. Right. And so that's why I'm like, I'm, I'm glad we could talk to you. Yeah, and get that in because this is just as important. And you can see some of the seeds that you planted in Prince. And you can see where you got them from, from, from the, the OGs that was there before, when right. you was. So we all and we see the lineage of this whole thing in black music and how it still keeps flowing. Right. And, and the That's lessons. Right. So, yeah, man, I just want to make sure that we understand yeah, I that. I did my part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. And, and, you, and, you, and you should be shown the respect. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Listen, uh, what's the name of the book again? We want to make sure people get, get your book and aware of it. Ah, the name of the book is If You See Me, My Decade, My Sixth Decade Journey into Rock and Roll. Yeah. Yes, sir, man. The great <laughs> Pepe Willie. Man, it's been an honor. I know your music. It's, it's just, like I said, man, I'm a cat here in the Northwest, and I know your songs, bro. Like, yeah. However, it got to me. They out there, and we've been listening to those. I remember when 94, uh, 94 East first came out because I was yeah. like, "Oh, this something with Prince on it." What? Well, we yeah. gotta listen to this, and I was like, oh, "Okay, that's they, right." Some old school. They he been doing this, so yeah, yeah man. You, your your name rings out out there. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me here, and 
finally that we can finally get together yeah. and talk. Yes, sir. You know, yes, it was sir. great. And I don't mind it. I don't mind sitting back and talking these days and stuff because those those days are immortalized. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Immortalized and stuff. And that's all that I ask for really myself. And that's why I wrote the book and stuff like that because that book will be here forever. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, there's going to be cats that are just getting into music and they're going to they're going to get into their Prince phase. <laughs> yeah, right. right. And they're going to be like, I want to know everything about it. And they're going to see your thing. And then we're like, oh, he had an OG that was already tied into the game and was giving him and partnering with knowledge and publishing. Right and they'll learn from that, and that'll go, you know what I mean? And it just keeps going, man, the cycle. You know, yeah, they have to learn because you get artists out here now that I that, that come to me, and and I said, okay, uh, you know, I want to work with them and stuff if they're good enough, and, you know, but they, they want everything, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, immediately. Right. You know, they don't want to work for it. They just want it now. You know, I want a Mercedes Benz. I want my own production company. I want my own label. I want to produce my own records. I want to write my own song. And I'm like, oh, you know, can we just do one record first? You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't have the patience, man. You know, you know, I got a, a artist that I'm working with now out of New York, 21 year old. And, okay. you know, and she's good. She's really good. But, you know, and she says that she has the patience, but it's not there yet, you know, because Mm. we're working with another uh, producer who has like 24 number one hits around the world, you know. Wow. And uh, just because he didn't sign her right then and there on the material that she's done, she's still in a good position because she can send songs, you know, to him. You know, you know, you just got to keep writing, mm-hmm. send another song. All right. Send another song, send another song. I mean, you, you got to show what you're worth. You know what I mean? You got to work. You know, you're in a good position. There's a lot of people who would love to be in that position uh, uh, for a, a producer to hear your songs who got the power to have you sign, you know. Wow. L- l- last question, because you've been in you've been in this for for a long time in this industry. Um do you think that there will ever be, I'm not going to say there ever be another Prince, but do you think <laughs> there'll ever be another artist uh, that has that type of drive as a yeah, Prince? Yeah, they'll be there. They'll come around every 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there'll be another one, you know, you know, cause you remember Stevie Wonder when he first came out, right? You know, is there ever going to be another Stevie? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you right, know, there's right. always somebody else is going to come out. You know, I don't know when and where, but it's usually every 20, 30 years. You know what I mean? You know, and they're there now. They're probably rehearsing right now, Mm, you know, know, working hard right now. Hopefully they got a a, a mentor (laughs) that can. can, I don't know if they'll be. Yeah, they got to have the right mentors. I don't know if they'll be as big as Prince or, you know, Jimi Hendrix or Elvis and, you know, Michael, you know, Jackson and stuff, you know, all that. You know, but they'll be in that same volume, you know. Okay. In that same line with them. 
All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up again, man. We we thank you, I'm speaking, you know, for on the fans' behalf. We we thank you for uh, holding Prince down for the years that you did and just trying yeah. to put him up on, on the game of this, this whole thing. Uh, well, so, I appreciate it, yeah, man. man. You know, and uh, thanks for the, the invite. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, we had to do it. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, please go out and get Pepe's book. Um, if you see him on these social media streets, uh, say what's up to him. And then, of course, you can find us here at podcastjuice.net. You can also find us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast platform. And like I always say, work it like a job. We'll see you next time. Peace.